0: All right, all right, all right. Hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna get started. Welcome to find your mission. So if you guys were supposed to be in Regen, you're in the wrong spot. So welcome. Uh, we are glad you're here. I'm gonna get started by praying for us tonight, Father. I thank you for uh, my friends here tonight. I thank you for the truth, the Bible. Um, you know, we live in a world that everything outside these doors is trying to tell us what mission to live on. Um, and how to live our life. And I thank you that you've given us your word, that you've revealed yourself through the word, that uh, that our life could count for something, that we wouldn't be a bunch of folks who just die, and every uh, single memory of us is gone and forgotten, but that you have created us to make an impact that can outlive our own life. And so these next five weeks, I pray that you would help us, help us to to see how you've designed us, how you've created us, um, and help us to understand our purpose in this world, that we would uh, be able to live our, our days in a way that would make significant impact. And we pray these in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good night. Welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Um, you see some folks uh, eating some food. And so feel free when you come here the next five, uh, four weeks after tonight, if you want to grab dinner on the way in and bring that in, that is perfectly fine. Uh, my name is Rick Smith, and I'm the director of digital ministries at Watermark Church. And you may wonder... Uh, one, what does a digital minister do? So I'll be glad to tell you about that during the break. And two, what does a digital minister have to do with finding their their mission? How, do, how, how does his role have to do with, uh, with this class? And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to help unpack that for you a little bit as well. And So before we get going, I do have an icebreaker question. Um, again, we're at church, so it's okay to be transparent with each other, okay? So full transparency. Do we have any gamers in the house tonight? So you're a gamer. You play video games. Any game. Thank you. We got one gamer. Any closet gamers? So you're like a gamer who hasn't come out yet. So I used to be a gamer, and I'll tell you some more. A gamer is someone who owns a video game system. Okay, let me break the, There you go. A gamer. Not a player. A gamer. And so a gamer. Now I, my full-time game is being a dad to these two. Uh, that's Noah on the left there and Jackson on the right. I let him fall off of a uh, couch and busted up his nose the other day, so failing at that game a little bit. But those are my two two boys. I'm married. My wife's name is Abby. She's a pediatrician here in Dallas. And I'm going to have the opportunity to tell you a little bit about her mission and how God has uh, designed her and her career sort of as we move along the next five weeks. But the reason I asked if anybody was a gamer is because I want to introduce you tonight as we get going to this friend of mine, not really a friend of mine, but his name is Steve Webby uh steve webby okay let me ask this anybody have netflix any netflix you guys binge watch okay cool so um you can watch this movie i'm going to give this to you the king of kong a fistful of quarters anybody ever heard of this movie you have okay so on the movie it's a movie about steve webby this guy right here and steve webby uh was a engineer who left his job and became so fascinated with the game of donkey kong that he quit his job and created an a Arcade in his basement. Okay, and so Steve Steve Webby he set out to achieve the high score of Donkey Kong was eight hundred and seventy four thousand three hundred points on Donkey Kong, and so this movie, A King of Kong, it outlines his life, and so it shows how passionate his passionate pursuit of getting 874,300 points on Donkey Kong. And so he paints his garage like the Donkey Kong game. He eats, sleeps, and breathes uh, Donkey Kong. There's a point in the movie where his two kids come down. This is really sad. You're going to laugh when I tell you, but it's really sad. His kids come down. Daddy, will you come up and eat with me? And he stiffs arms the kids. And there's this shot of the kids with just a sad face. And he's like so into the game. His wife, is not very happy, and so you will be happy to know that he did, indeed, after years and years and years of practice, achieve six six hundred points after the blood, sweat, and tears of Donkey Kong and became the world champion of Donkey Kong. Sadly, though, for Steve Webby, just a few years later, someone else came along and beat his high score by 300 points, and he has yet to regain the title, but he did work really hard. He is still working Uh, to regain uh, his championship you know we laugh at that we laugh at that story because it's funny right i mean he gave his life away to this donkey kong machine but the truth of the matter is it's really a tragic story right because yeah i mean the guy is faithful i mean you can't say the guy isn't faithful but here's the tragedy he was faithful to the wrong things he was faithful to the you see faithfulness is easy sometimes you hear people say man it's hard to be faithful no no faithfulness is really easy uh faithfulness to the right things is what's hard Faithfulness is easy. Now, here's the crazy thing. A lot of us, we laugh at that story, but everybody in this room is on mission for something. Everybody in this room is on a mission for something, and you and I, we can just as easily replace Steve Webby's Donkey Kong with our career, with trying to be a partner, trying to make associate, trying to get our own practice one day. You know, every single person in this room and on this planet is on mission for something, they're faithful to something. And faithfulness, friends, is really easy. Faithful to the right things is not easy. Faithfulness to the right things is, is very hard. You know, there's guys uh, down my street that ride their bicycles with white shirts on and black ties, and those guys are really faithful to a mission. Um, like I said, some of us, our life ambition would be to get our name on the side of a building somewhere. See, all of us are on mission For something and the question goes like this hey what is the mission what is the right mission because the tragedy in life would be to spend your whole life trying to get 1,066,000 points on donkey kong and then get it and realize you've wasted your entire life getting something that is like a sandcastle the 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 waves are going to come and knock it over and it's gone so what we want to know and what we want to learn together over the next five weeks is this how has god uniquely designed us How has God uniquely designed us? How has he created us? What are our gifts, our talents, our abilities? What are we passionate about? And then how do we take those things, put them together, and then make an impact for the glory of God? Because everybody here, you're here, and that tells me one thing. It tells me that you want to make an impact. You want to do something that outlives your own life so that when you die and everyone who knows you and applauds your uh, accolades through business, when those people die and you go... Uh, to heaven forever, that there's something on this earth, some legacy that you did that's more than a plaque with your name on it on some building somewhere. See, we are all on mission for something. And so what we're going to look over the next five weeks is this, we're going to look at our position, our purpose, and our place. Our position, our purpose, and our place. So we're going to spend tonight talking about our position, because everybody in the room, we're on a position. We have a position on this mission. The next Three weeks, we're going to look at our purpose and we're going to see how that place and purpose tie together. And then the very last night, we're going to do some really cool things and we're going to talk about our place, the place that God has put us to make the maximum impact. And so I'm really excited about this. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at a lot of scripture because to know that you're on the right mission, you got to go to the place where truth is. You got to go to the place that we have that tells us what our mission is. And so grab your Bible. We are going to look at a lot of scripture. We're going to start right at the beginning, a page that anybody in this room has said, hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, New Year's resolution to read my Bible. And so you're going to open up Genesis 1 and go to page 1 and probably read that page and then get a little disinterested when the snake starts talking. And so we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to see the very first thing is this on this mission, that you are unique. That you are unique, that God has made you with a unique purpose to make a unique impact at a unique time in the history of the world. You are unique unique. Look with me, Genesis 1, you know the story. God makes all these really incredible things. He makes uh, trees and Mars and the color blue and everything, air. He makes all these wonderful things. And then verse 24, it says, you know, God says, let us, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. So little lizards, you know, big lizards make little baby lizards, Uh, livestock, creeping things, beast of the earth, according to their kind and it was so and then god made the beast of the earth according to their kind so big beast make a little beast and then the livestock according to their kind so you got a cow and a cow makes a little baby cow and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind you got a baby snake a big snake makes a baby snake and god saw that it was good so he made all these things and he said hey all these things are good verse 26 said god said let us make man in our image after our likeness Let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and all the creepy things. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Your created image. See, it doesn't say that you were made in the image of your daddy or your mommy. Isn't this really unique? It doesn't say that he made cows and they made cows after their own kind and creepy things and creepy things after their own kind and then people and people after their own kind. It says, hey, God made you not after your own kind, but after him. He uniquely created you in the image of God. You are created to reflect the image and the glory and the characteristics of God. No one else in all of creation, no thing that God created, as cute as your doggie is, I have a golden doodle. It's really cute. That golden doodle is not created in the image of God. You and I are created in the image of God, and it's very unique in all of God's creation. And it's very important in the story of our mission. We're unique and created in the image of God of god um we were keep looking verse 28 a unique purpose god blessed them and he said be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything of the sea all of the heavens all of the earth every creepy thing and god said i've given you every plant every seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit and you should have them for food and so he says, hey, I've got all this stuff, all this place, this incredible garden, and you're gonna be in this garden. You're gonna have a unique purpose. Your purpose is to honor me, your father, your creator in this garden. You're gonna subdue and rule over all of these things. And so God made Adam and Eve unique and gave them a unique purpose and a unique place. The garden, subduing the creation, rightly related to God, in the image of God. It was, they were very unique. Now, you and I know the story. We'll skip ahead Uh, uh, Genesis 3 the fall Um, now Genesis if you were to go ahead of a time machine and go back in time these stories were meant to be read out loud it was a a vocal tradition they would read the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible they would read these out loud and so the Hebrew people this is the first time and, and just like you and I in their bible that they would come to see what is god going to be like and so everyone's looking when they're hearing this story they're on the edge of their seat going what is this creator like what is this god of the universe like and so everything that we're reading here is revealing the character of god and so chapter three you know the story verse one the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field he said to the woman "Did god actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the tree is in the garden, but God said you shouldn't eat the fruit that's in the middle of the garden and you'll die. And then the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes, the tree was to be desired to make her wise. She took the fruit. She ate it. She gave some to her husband. He was with her. He ate it. The eyes of them were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. So the very first time in all of history, what you see is this. You see sin into the world. You see people go, hey, my plan, my mission for my life is better and more accurate than God's mission for my life. We've been doing it since the beginning of time. We go, I want to make a name for me. I want to do what I think. I want to be wise in my own eyes. I want to be God. I want to be like God. And we begin to choose our mission over God's mission. And you can trace it all throughout the Bible, chaos and disorder and every sort of bad thing sets in. Um, Now you see this, God's response to this. You see God's response. This is very important in the position on our mission. See, if you're reading the story, you'd be on the edge of your seat because you would go, man, what is God about to do? The very first time in history where sin entered the world. Is God going to come in and wipe these people out? Is he going to come and just stomp on them and destroy them? What's he going to do? And people typically read this story wrong after this they say, oh man, so the next verse, they heard the sound of the Lord on the cool of the day and God was walking in the garden. You kind of vision this picture of this really old man with a cane sort of strolling through the garden. That's a very inaccurate reading of this verse. In the Hebrew of this text, it's like a whirlwind. See, God's response to sin is never casual, strolling in the garden. The the better translation would be that God heard them and he came into the garden like a whirlwind. It wasn't uh, this kind, old, gentle man. It was a whirlwind. And he came and he rushed into the garden. And here's what he says. The Lord called to Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, where are you? Where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid and I was naked and I hid myself. And he says, hey, who told you that you were naked? Who told you to eat of this, of this tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And he, and he makes a call. See, the second thing is you and I were, were called out. We're called out. If no matter who you are on the planet, you're called out. God has given you this divine calling. He said, hey, if you don't know me, if you don't have a relationship with me, if you're in here tonight and you don't know God, the Bible says, hey, come on, come out, have a relationship. It's this divine invitation. If you're, I used to work at a Baptist church, so this was like the first altar call. He says, where are you? Adam, Eve, who told you choosing your way was better than choosing my way come out. And it's a beautiful response of the father to these two people. Come out. Where are you? So God says that his response to us in sin is always this loving, this loving response that God has called us out of this life of sin and death. And he offers us life. That's what he's doing to Adam and Eve. He says, hey, come out. Uh, If we were to keep going, um, you keep going a little bit later, verse 21 it says God made for Adam and Eve garments of skin and he clothed them he killed this innocent animal and he covered them with the skin of an innocent animal it's this beautiful picture it's this type of gospel that we see even in the first few pages of the Bible it's the first technology upgrade by the way they their clothes were fig leaves that were sewn together and then he now gives them leather clothing because outside of the garden the, the weather and the elements your leave clothing wasn't enough for them So he he closes them in a leather garment, a a garment that's even safer and more protecting for them. It's a beautiful picture of grace there in this story. But God has offered us that same thing. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange, the great exchange that that there's God there and he's calling us to something better. He's offering us this great exchange for our life. Second Corinthians calls it this, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we, that to be, be, uh, sorry, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin that would be our sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. And so if you're in this room today, your position to God is this, that he is offering you this great exchange that a lot of us in our life, because of sin, we hide, we, we cover things up around our life, we seek earthly ambition, we go on earthly missions. I'll tell you here in a little bit, I used to spend the first 23 years of my life on a mission like that. Like Steve Webby, I wasn't into Donkey Kong, but I was certainly into my own name, my own mission, and I spent the first 23 years of my life seeking that mission, and at some point in my life, I realized that there was this unique exchange that God would say, hey Rick, where are you? Would you come out from behind those bushes and let me call you to something better with your life? And see, God's offering you that same call today to give your life for something, and so, one, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, that's the first calling. That you would understand that Jesus became sin so that you wouldn't have any sin. You would become the righteousness of Jesus. And if you are in this room and you know Christ, you have another calling on your life. And your calling is to get after it. Your calling is to go on mission. Your calling is to be into a place on purpose, on mission to make an impact in the world with your life. And God is calling you. We are called, called out. But we aren't just called, we aren't just called out. We're, also, we're unique. We're called out. And we're valuable. We're valuable. We have infinite worth. See, worth is based on what someone's willing to pay for it. Do we have any finance people in the room? I'm sure there's a lot of finance people. You guys look like finance people. There you go. Uh, but that's called market value, right? So my grandmother, uh, who's not here anymore, she's in heaven. She, when she died, she had this collection of sports cards, okay? And I have a garage full of them that almost sent our marriage to re-engage, regen, all the re's. That's another story for another day. But we had these sports cards, and when my grandmother died, I, I was like counting all of the ways in which we would be rich upon rich. You know, I was like, man, I'm looking at the price guide and I'm adding it up, and it's like almost a million dollars. She collected all these sports cards. Well, here's, what, here's the crazy thing that happened. And, I, and when I say a lot of cards, I don't, you know, a lot is a really weird word, right? Your a lot, my a lot, can be different lots. I mean like a storage building of, of cards, okay, of sports cards, sets, old cards, rookie cards, every kind of sports card. So here's what happened. Uh, when my grandmother died, there was no such thing as eBay. Well, it was just getting started. Well, when eBay came out, the bottom dropped out of sports cards because now no longer we you the only kid in your town with a King Griffey Jr. 89 Upper Deck rookie card. You realize millions of people across the globe have a 1989 Upper Deck King Griffey rookie card. And you can buy 10 1989 King Griffey Jr. Upper Deck rookie cards for like $4 on eBay. So all of these cards became almost overnight, worthless, nothing. Even though I thought they were worth something, even though my grandmother thought they were worth something, they were worth nothing because something is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. That's market value. And so I would even call like children's hospitals and go, hey man, I got truckloads of sports cars I would like to bring to you. Can I bring them to you? And they'd go, no. Now when a children's hospital (laughs) doesn't take your stuff, but it's called market value. And what we've got to know is this, what, what's our value? Because we live in a world where everything in the world is trying to tell us our, our value. Every magazine, every TV show, every billboard that you pass on the road is trying to tell you our value. And so if we're going to be on mission, if we're going to know our purpose, if we're going to know our place, if we're going to know our position to God, we've got to know our, our value. I want you to open it up uh, with me to 1 Peter. First Peter 1 18 to21, 20, it says this: "Knowing that you were ransomed from the fruital ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but that was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers of God and were raised. From the dead, so that your faith and hope are in who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and give him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. See, we are valuable because we were bought with the blood of Christ. We have this infinite price tag. Uh, we have this infinite worth. That something is only as valuable as what someone will pay for it. And so here's the deal: you and I, we were bought by the blood of Christ that Christ sent His Son. And sometimes we can quote John six. 316 and say that he died for the whole world right that god so loved his son that for the world and we forget that he also died for me that i'm valuable that i am valuable and sometimes you may not feel valuable i grew up in a house that wasn't full of stability my my dad was an alcoholic my my mom was a high school dropout uh there was always yelling and arguing and no one in my home ever said, hey, man, you have a lot of value. And that put a lot of insecurity in my life. And, I, for the, again, for the first 23 years of my life, I, I tried to find love in all the wrong places. I tried to find security in people. I tried to find security in what people thought of me, in making a lot of money. And it wasn't until there was some point in my life where Christ came in and he said, man, I, I, I'm better. I'm better. And, and not only am I better, but you have worth. You don't have to keep finding your worth in other people. You don't have to find your worth in your job. Your job is a horrible place to find your worth. Some of you in this room right now can give testimony, if I invited you up here, of working and working and working and working and trying to get validation and just going home empty because that's a terrible place to find your worth. And the Bible says, hey, your worth is in the fact that you're created in the image of God, you're unique, you're valuable, and that Christ gave his life for you, his blood for you. And you've got to let that sink in because that, that's going to change the way you go on mission. That's going to change the way. That's going to set the stage for the next four weeks here, that you're positioned to Christ, that you are valuable, you're unique. We're going to talk about in a second that you're a masterpiece, that God is sounds so cheesy, but he is head over heels in love with you. He cares so much for you. And, and, and sometimes we can talk in church a lot about, you know, God is sovereign. He holds the whole world in his hands, but I always go back to he holds you in his hand. He knows you. He knows everything that you're going through, every insecurity that you're going through, every sort of place that you're trying to find validation. He just constantly calls you and he goes, hey, would you come? Would you come? So tonight, I hope you're reminded that you are, you're valuable. And get this, look with me um, a couple more verses down. Verse 24, it says, "All all, all flesh is like grass and it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. That's like my baseball cards, you know? Like you put our stock and stuff, and and the Bible says, hey, all that's gonna wither away. Get this, but the word of the Lord remains forever, forever. So if you're in Christ, the Bible says, man, that you are sealed forever. It's a done deal. The market value on you is secure. It's good. It never goes down. It never depreciates. You're God's unique, chosen, valuable, masterpiece. And that should resonate. That, that should get you so excited. Not, you know, we, we brag and people say, hey, you shouldn't brag, but you can brag about who you are in Christ. That's okay. The Paul says, man, I only boast in Christ. And it's okay, man, to say, hey, I'm boasting in Christ. In my own flesh, I'm like that flower. I'm like that baseball card. But in Christ, man, I, I have infinite value. And so do you. And so that's going to change the way we live our mission. Flip with me one, one last place to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, the Bible says, not only are we unique, not only are we called out, not only are we valuable, but that we are God's masterpiece, that we're God's masterpiece. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, but for we are his workmanship, the word in Greek for workmanship is this beautiful word for poetry, this beautiful word that can be translated masterpiece or handiwork. Uh, one of the best things that God has ever created. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. Get that. You are his workmanship, created for good works, cr- created to be on a mission, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, God has created us as a masterpiece. I brought, I brought a painting. Um, this is now this is, you're going to think this isn't a masterpiece, but this is, this is a piece of art. It's in my office. This actually is someone's life work. Okay. This guy signed it. Okay. This guy blessed me with this painting. My wife, on the other hand, doesn't consider this a masterpiece. So it's hanging at my work instead of our house. That's another issue for another day. But this is this guy's painting. It's his masterpiece. This is not a copy. This is not an original. This is an original. This is the only copy like this that exist and what's amazing about this is that you can look at this and see the fingerprints the brushstrokes of the artist on this I mean there's nothing else like this in the world and man I really l- enjoy this painting it hangs in my office here uh, right a couple floors up and it's just every brushstroke everything about this painting is unique and believe it or not this thing is is valuable this is actually by a guy who's a pretty well-known artist and he, he gave this to me and, and it's a valuable painting. It's unique. It's created. And the Bible says, and, and if you were to ask this guy, his name's Clay, about his art, he would tell you, man, I, you know, this is a masterpiece. This is beautiful to me. And it may not be to you, but he said, this is beautiful to me. This is part of my life's work. And the Bible says we are also like that masterpiece that, man, God says, hey, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter if any of you say it's ugly or worthless or whatever. The artist says it's a masterpiece. People pay for that. It's valuable. It's got a lot of worth. It's valuable. It's a masterpiece. And the Bible says that's what we are to God. But here's the crazy thing about a masterpiece. And I try to explain this to my wife, but she, she didn't buy it. Masterpieces aren't meant to be left in the basement. Masterpieces are meant to be hung on the wall, on display. Or as it says here in Ephesians, they're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I try to explain that to my wife and she's like that's all great and all but can you take that to work. And so I did. So you when you when you win you lose. So you'll learn that if you're not married. But that's us. You know again I I was like this for the first 23 years of my life. Like I said I grew up in a single uh, parent home. I kind of tell you my story. I was a high school dropout, runaway at 17. So I'm 35 and at 17 years old I ran away from home and said, I don't know what life it's supposed to be like, but I know it's not supposed to be like this. My dad would be drunk by noon. I had three brothers. And so I ran away from home and I got invited by some friends. They said, Hey, you want to go uh, meet some girls at this thing called Metro, which was like the cheap version of the porch in Ulas." And so I went to this thing. And then this guy who um, was kind of dressed in Levi's, I think he had a Nike shirt on. He was talking and I went down afterwards to talk to him because he didn't sound like any other guy that I had heard talk about the Bible before, and his name was Todd Wagner. And I said, hey, man, I, I, uh, uh, man could, I've never heard anybody talk like that before. I've never heard anybody you know, sounds sort of cool as a Christian. Most guys on TV are really nerds and you seem sort of cool and sort of intimidating, but can we be friends? And so uh, this, was, this was right when cell phones were kicking off, 1998. So this dummy left his number listed in the phone book. And so I would call him up. I was like, hey, he's like, who is this? This is Rick. Remember, I'm the guy. You left your name. And he lived on Wagner. So it was like, it was so easy to know which Wagner. He was like, Wagner on Wagner. I would call 411, give me the Wagner on Wagner Drive. So I would look him up. And I would call him so many times that I remember him saying one day, Bro, you've got to quit calling my house so much. And um, and it was really funny. Well, he he discipled me, he taught me about where life is found. And so I I did what a lot of us do. I, I sort of began to make my own way. I began to get, I was in outside sales. I began to sell things. I learned that I was pretty good at that, I began to make some money. Uh, begin to do what people do sometimes when they, f- they think that they're confident in their own life, and begin to, to just sort of go out of control, you know, doing everything that you could do in Dallas that Dallas would have to offer for you. Um, on, on the course of that, I met um, the lady who is now my wife. She became my friend. She was um, at Baylor at the time, and she was um, really, really solid, really sold out to Christ. And I was this guy who... Um, was not so much sold out for Christ. And so I I saw something in her life. She was living on mission. She now is a pediatrician. She was a biochem major, and, and she would always talk about, man, I want to be a doctor because I think if I could be a doctor, that God could use that as my ministry, that I could become a doctor and then spend my days, not necessarily working at a church, but I could spend my days working at this place where sick people come, physically sick people, but a lot of those are spiritually sick people, and I could love them. I could comfort them. And I would just listen to her like, man, that's crazy. You're going to be a doctor to get rich, man. What do you, you don't become a doctor to, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and, and I would just listen to her. And her, her life, her goals were all about the mission of God. And, and I'd be, I was really attracted to that. Um, but the problem was I was still trying to find my life in getting Salesman of the Year and these little plaques and these little trophies. And so I eventually... Um, Got myself in trouble, got arrested. She came and bailed me out of jail, which um, isn't what you want to do when you're trying to court a girl. Um, And in the course of that, she goes, hey, listen, um, the only way we're going to continue to be friends, the only way we're going to continue anything is is you're going to stop chasing what you're chasing. And, and, And because of God's grace in my life, I went to making a lot of money to then getting in trouble and working at Banana Republic in the Galleria Now, there is something incredibly humbling from making a lot of money to folding pants and having a boss who's like an 18-year-old mad because you didn't fold the chinos correctly, okay? That happened to me. Not by choice, by God's choice. That happened to me. Um, God lovingly and kindly said, Hey, you're, you're wasting your life away on the wrong mission. You're wasting your life on the wrong mission. And and what happens is if you begin to make anything in your life an idol, if you're a believer and you begin to chase anything and pursue anything more than God, the great thing about God is that he'll love you enough to not let you chase that idol. So for me, I made success and money and people-pleasing the idol of my life. And God, because he loved me, said, hey, I'm not going to let you continue to do that. So he put circumstances in my life to derail me, to, to, to make it to where my eyes could only focus on him so then that was one of the greatest things, getting arrested was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Um, you know, I was probably 22 at the time. Um, I, then I began to only focus really on church. I, I began to move in with some guys who were believers. Uh, but I really just started reading my Bible, simple things, praying, going to church, being in a community, being around people who knew me. And, and this is the crazy thing. So I lived with this roommate In Houston, I moved to Houston to go to University of Houston because I was like, hey, I eventually wanted to go. By that time, I was really felt like God wanted me to be in ministry, whatever that means. And so I was like, I want to go to seminary because Todd Wagner went to seminary, and he went to DTS. I would like to go there because he went there and he knows the Bible, and I'd like to know the Bible like he knows the Bible. But high school dropouts don't go to grad school, so you got to do something to get there. So I, I went to college, and by God's grace, moved in with these guys in Houston. And when I moved to Houston. Um, I was still drinking. I was still lying to them and saying that I wasn't drinking. And so I was dating Abby, my wife at the time, lying to her, telling her that I wasn't doing these things that I was really doing. And my roommate was uh, like a bodybuilder. And I, you probably can't tell, but I'm not a bodybuilder. And so um, I would lie to Abby and I would say, hey, I'm going to work. I'm going to church or whatever. And I would really go out and, and get drunk. And um, one day he goes, hey, man, I'm going I'm to tell Abby. That you're that you're doing these things. I think if you're not going to do it, I've given you many opportunities. It's not fair to her. It's not godly. I, I'm going to tell her. So I, I got really angry, really mad, and I was about to hit him. But then I'm not an idiot, okay? And so I, I decided not to do that, and I hit this wall in our apartment instead, and, and ended up hitting a stud in that in the wall and broke my hand. And um, that was sort of the turning point for me. And I, I remember going to the emergency room with no insurance, Banana Republic part-time employees don't make awesome benefits, but they do get 50% off on khakis, which is awesome. Um, so I'm in there, and I got this broken hand, and I remember looking at this cast going, God, what am I doing? I mean, really, what am I doing? What, where is my life headed? What am I, I mean, really? And I said, from this point forward, from this point forward, God, I'm going to, by your grace, be confident in who you are. I'm going to stop looking for my security in people. I'm going to stop looking for my security in my worth and anything else but you. And I can only do that because of who you are in me, so would you help me? And, and, and so I went to church the next day, and um, I remember, I'll never forget, the guy goes, I walked into the Sunday school class, and it was a Baptist Sunday school class, so you can stereotype what that was like. And I walked in, and the guy's like, hey, buddy, what happened to your hand? And uh, Did you break it playing whirly ball? And I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, no, I actually have an anger problem, and I got drunk the other night. My roommate was going to tell my girlfriend that I was drinking, and he's bigger than me, so I didn't want to hit him. So I hit the wall and broke my hand. Would you pray for me? And the guy's like, oh, man, did you break it playing really well? I was like, no. <laughs> and, I did, and you know what? This crazy thing happened when I started saying I'm not going to live for the approval of people. I'm going to live for the approval of God. This is what happened. People started, that, that same day, a guy goes, hey, man, can I, after that Sunday school class was like, his name was Tommy, Tommy said, hey, I, I also have a problem uh, drinking. I'm glad that you said that, man. Most people don't talk like that in church. Most people don't say, just come out, out of the fat, on the first day, you know, first date, you know, and hey, here's what I got a problem with. And I just said, man, I, I spent 23 years of my life telling people what they wanted to hear, living, being on mission for myself. And you know where that got me? That got me arrested, got me almost having my girlfriend, not be my girlfriend anymore, a broken hand with no insurance, selling pants in the mall. Like that's not what I want to do with my life, but that's what that has gotten me chasing that, chasing that, my own mission. And, and, and what happened was I began to just see people in my life, real community, real relationships. God began to soften me. God began to give me a passion for him, and, and I always look at it like this. There's like these two roads. And the Bible, all throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs, it does the same thing. There's these two roads. One road is wisdom, worldly wisdom. And that road is paved with I. You know, it's all about us. What can I do? What kind of success can I have? Um, how much money can I make? What's my spouse going to look like? How many kids am I going to have? What kind of car? Where at neighborhood? What private school? It's all about I. And that, that road will really drive you crazy. Like you will really be in... Regen. Many times if that's the road you chase. It will drive you crazy if all you chase is one worldly accolade after the other. You'll spend your whole life doing that and you'll be 70 and you'll be depressed and maybe rich. There's another road the Bible says that's called godly wisdom. And godly wisdom is paved with others. And it says, hey, you put other people first. And everybody in the world is really traveling down those two roads, those two mission highways. The road that says it's all about me, And the road that says, man, it's all about God. And here's the crazy thing. I was on the road for worldly wisdom for 23 years of my life. Many of you today may be on that same road. Here's the incredible thing. God always puts an exit at every mile marker on the highway of worldly wisdom. God always provides a mile marker on the highway of worldly wisdom. And here's the mile marker. It's Jesus is better than blank. See, if you're going to be on mission, if your life is going to count for anything in this world other than a big bank account, and how many friends you have on Facebook and Twitter, you have to come to some point in your life where you say, Jesus is better than blank. And for me, it was sitting in that emergency room with a broken cast, almost lost the girl that I wanted to marry. Every friend didn't trust me. I even called Todd Wagner a jerk. That's another story for another day. You don't want to call him a jerk. He's pretty intimidating. That's a true story. Um. But my life was really messed up. And at some point in my life, by God's grace, I said, Jesus is better than blank. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. What in your life do you need to say, Jesus, you are better than blank? And maybe for you, it's going, man, if I could just get that job, you know, if I could just get that one job at that perfect company, everything will be awesome. You and I both know that's not true. You know, if I could just make that practice man that man that practice is really awesome if I could just that's not true my wife will tell you that she really wanted to work at a certain emergency room in this town called children's medical center that was really awesome she got that job she hated that job she worked 5,000 hours a week she didn't love it she works somewhere much better now but anybody many people will tell you you know what is that thing that you say this is where life is And at some point, you go, Jesus is better than blank. That's the first step to finding your mission. That's the first step to really making a significant impact. And here's the crazy thing. Unless you and I realize that there is someone on this earth more beautiful than us, and his name is Jesus, we'll spend our entire life down the wrong road. We'll spend our entire life pursuing the wrong person. We'll spend our entire life thinking that love is in some person to try to validate us, or some job, or some house, or some season tickets. And we have to say, guys, as a room full of people, Jesus is better than my own popularity, my approval. And so have you said that? Have you, in your life, made a decision to say, Jesus, you're better than anything? And that's the question that you and I have to get, get to every day, every day in our life. And get this, here's the crazy thing. Even working at a church, you would think working at a church, that's like sort of like heaven on earth. You, you know, that's what you think when you're, you know, wanting to go work at a church one day. You go, it's going to be a bunch of people who love Jesus and you get paid to love Jesus. That's going to be really great. But then you realize you're working with people who are sinful and you're sinful and you get a bunch of sinful people together, whether you're at a church or a law firm or a hospital and you still got to say every day, Jesus, are you better? Are you better than me trying to get what I want? Are you better than me trying to be prideful? Are you better than me wanting to do this instead of this? Like, God, are you better? And do I trust you? Um, we've got to be committed to the right mission. Reggie Joyner has a quote that I like, and he says this, 100 years from now, 100 years from today, the only thing in life that will matter is a person's relationship with God. Do You hear that? And 100 years from now, unless and, and, and like some crazy super medicine happens and we live to be a 1,000, but in 100 years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is a person's relationship to God, making an impact in a person's life. That's the only thing that, that's going to matter. In 100 years, your IRA, you getting your name on that plaque, all of those things, none of those things will ultimately matter. And so you and I, what we've got to do is this. We've got to be committed to being faithful to the right things. Being faithful to the right things is what God called us. God called us to do. I want you to think about this. This is sort of a precursor. And we're going to take a little break and then my friend Rick Wisner is going to come up and we're going to talk about sh- being you being able to share your story in a much more condensed time than I shared mine. But here's let me ask you this. And this we're going to elaborate on this next week. But what is the one thing that gets you excited? What is the one thing that you go, "Man, if I were just to close my eyes, if I were to think about, man, what I would do if money was no object, if if I if you know, this would be the one thing if 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 I could do anything. What would it be? I want you to just begin to think about that question. And listen, it doesn't have to be Christian related. Okay. Maybe it really is Donkey Kong, right? I mean, really like I'm going to tell you next week, you're going to, you're going to be surprised to hear some of the things that led to how God has me here at Watermark and what I do at Watermark and what digital ministry has to do with me talking to you about finding your mission. And it's going to be something that's not even going to be related to what you would think. But I want you to think about what is the one thing, man, I'm just passionate about it. it. Could be You know, breast cancer awareness because of something in your life. It could be, you know, a certain people group, a certain demographic. It could be clothing, fashion, whatever it is. What's the thing that you go, man, I'm just really, your alma mater? You know, what is that thing that you go, man, I just think about this all the time? And if I'm not careful, I'm so passionate about this, it could become an idol. What is that thing? And I want you to begin to think about that. Maybe write it down. And I want to think about that over the next few weeks and as we lead into next. We, but the but the main thing I want to leave you with is this: Jesus is better than blank. And as we begin to think about our mission, what we've got to do is this: we got to know our position to Christ, that we are rightly related to Him. Those of us who know Him. If you don't know Him, if you are here today and you go, "Man, I I stumbled in this room. I thought this was something else, you know, and and I thought you guys were selling essential oils in here. And I came in here, man. We want to talk to you about Christ, man. We, you got a bunch of people in here that are really messed up that have found someone perfect and it ain't us. And that person has radically changed everything in our life, everything that we do, everything that we live for. And that's something that we've got to do every day. We've got to go to him and make this great exchange of saying, God, would you help me to see you more than whatever is at work? And we begin once we know our position, that changes our mission. And we just focus on Him every day. I want to close with this. This is a hymn. I'm not going to sing it. That would be really weird, but I will read it. And this hy- the hymn goes like this. Uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim at the light of his glory and grace. Uh, we, we Pray with me. Father, we, we, man, we are so in awe of you. <laughs> the fact that you would save us, that you would call us out. Many of us in this room, we know our own story, and we wouldn't save ourselves if we could. And Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you sent your son so that we could know you and not just know you, not just live a life that we go to work from nine to five and we're bored out of our mind, but you've given us life purpose. You said, man, I want to make your life count for something. I want your life to to, to make an impact that outlives your own life and that you have given us fullness of life that can't be found in a bar. It can't be found in making a million dollars. It can only be found in you as we seek and pursue you. And so you help us every single day in a world that tells us that they are better than you to make a, a decision to believe that you are better and, and, and living on mission for you on the highway of faithfulness to you is really the only way to live our life. And we can only do that by your grace and your goodness in our life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to take a few minutes, a break. It be a great chance for you to get to know some of the people at your table. If you haven't, just ask them what their secret sin is. Don't do that. That's weird. <laughs> Maybe
1: second week. And we're going to um, have about 10 minutes. So we'll see you in a sec. We're going to go ahead and get uh, started here. Uh, while we start, I uh, want to ask you if you could do something for us. On your table, we put some index cards And uh, what we were hoping to do is just have you answer one simple question for us, and that is, what were you hoping or what are you hoping to get out of this class? Okay? We know people are coming for all different reasons, and uh, we would just love to be able to read through those this week and make sure that we're tailoring what we're going to do the next four weeks to try to really hit the need that you have. So Rick has kind of given you an overview of uh, what we're going to cover, but I think that will help us... uh, tailor it for just a little bit. So uh, my name is Rick Wisner, and I've serving at Watermark since March of 2001. And uh, if you have uh, been at Watermark for very long, you know we uh, try to help people believe in Christ, belong to his body, be uh, trained in truth, and be a strong in a uh, life of worship and ministry. So I would be the belong pastor here, and uh, I've been responsible for helping folks connect and be in community. So um, you see my family uh, here. i uh, just walk through them real quick. My wife, Tana, we've been married for 20 years now. And uh, my son, Tyler, with the Ranger cap, he's 14. Uh, April is 11, and Brandon's at the bottom, and he is seven. So they're a joy for me. But um, this past weekend, I had an opportunity to be a little nostalgic. I went uh, to my college for a football game, and uh, as I was there... I was uh, just kind of remembering what it felt like when I first got to college. And uh, I grew up uh, up north. I was doing my journey uh, the other day. We have to turn them in, and I was writing that uh, when we moved from Chicago to, uh, to Austin in 1980, the, Chicago had the blizzard of 79, and I kid you not, the snow was over five feet tall it snowed like three feet, I think, in two days. And so we had the blizzard of 79. And after that, we decided no more Chicago winters. So we moved to Austin, Texas. And in 1980, we got the Texas heat wave, which was 42 straight days of uh, 100 degrees. So, uh, so anyway, back to college. Uh, when, I, when I was remembering college, I had grown up not going to church at all. My parents just said that when you get older, if you want to go to church, you can do that, but we're not going to. So when I got to college, um, I'd I'd never been to church. And uh, and as I was driving through the campus the other day, I was remembering what it felt like when I first got there. And I remembered how empty my life felt back then because my mission was about my happiness and uh, just trying to pursue the comforts of life. And, uh, and I remember part of the reason I was excited to go to college is um, major college sports, fraternities, sororities, parties, and uh, a long social calendar. And so when I remembered back in college, I remember a lot of sadness. And I remember specifically on uh, one Friday sitting around and all the other uh, kids, it seemed like my friends had left home for the weekend. And I remember sitting there Looking outside of my dorm window thinking, what am I going to do? There's nothing to look forward to. And I remember many times feeling depressed about that. If there wasn't some fun thing that I got to be excited about, it was like, well, this is a lost week. Or why do I want to get up and go out? There's nothing to make me happy. And so, that was kind of what I was pursuing. That was my mission back then. And uh, luckily, I had a friend who sat me down and talked about who Jesus was and shared the good news and the bad news. And the bad news was that uh, I was a sinner. I made choices that God didn't approve. And uh, and I had a broken relationship with God. And that uh, the consequences of that broken relationship were that uh, that I would spend eternity apart from God and I wouldn't enjoy the life he wanted me to have now. But then he shared the good news. The good news is that Jesus had came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for my sins. And that if I would believe that story and put all my eggs in that basket and trust that Jesus was God's son. He lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to pay for my sins. Then I could have life with Jesus now and later. And so my junior year in college I made that decision to trust in Christ. And, uh, and since then my life has been different. It was just this morning. I was sitting, looking out my window. It was rainy. It was overcast, getting ready for tonight and thinking how far God had taken me since those early days in college. And that whereas I lacked peace and purpose to get up, now I know the big questions, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? They've been answered by God. And I can get up each day and know that God loves me so much and that I can live my life for him, that he wants to live it through me. And uh, as I do that, I will achieve my, as we're talking about in this class, my main mission, which is to love God and love others, to be and make disciples. And so so the neat thing about it is I know for certain that if something were to happen and I was to die today, I have eternal life. I have life with, with Jesus forever, and that is what gives me peace now. So there you go. My uh, role in the class tonight is to talk practically about a testimony. So that was my testimony. Hopefully it was less than three minutes because that's what we're going to challenge you guys to do here. But, um, but let me have a show of hands. How many people have ever shared their testimony or their story with somebody else before? Show of hands. Okay. How many uh, that have done that? Have shared it with a stranger, somebody you've never met before, not a friend. Okay, that's good. How many of you guys have practiced and gotten your testimony to three minutes or less? Okay, great. Well, one of the things that we want to do over the the course of the class here is challenge you guys to work on your testimony so that by the end of the class, you could share it in three minutes or less. Okay, And we want to help you tonight with some suggestions of things that will help. And then the last week, we want to be able to come back and uh, and share them at our tables with some others. So what I want to do tonight in these last few minutes is walk through just some suggestions that will help you as you spend these weeks at home preparing your three-minute testimony. So... A testimony, first of all, you see here, it's a public account of how life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has impacted your life. It's telling your story of faith to other people, okay? And assuming that you are a Christian, everybody has a, has a story, okay? And you have something to tell. So a few verses we want to read here is First uh, Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect. We're commanded to be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. So we want to make sure that everybody in here is ready, that if God brings you to someone who doesn't know him, you can walk through the gospel. And walking through the gospel starts with your own testimony that God has changed your life. And Jesus has given you life. And you want to introduce Jesus to them. Second, Mark 16, 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. First Thessalonians 2, 4, on the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our heart. So we're challenged and commissioned to witness to others. God expects us to do that, but, We shouldn't look at this as this, oh, man, I need to be doing that. It's a privilege. It is a privilege to tell others about Jesus and the hope that they can have in knowing him, not just to live eternally in heaven with him, but even now that he is our life in everything. And so we have the privilege of introducing others uh, to Jesus. And it all starts with the fact of how he has changed your life. Finally, no one can deny my personal experience of my changed life, okay? They can debate the Bible. They can debate, was Jesus really God? We can go on and on with the apologetics questions, but nobody can dispute your story and how Jesus has changed your life. So, so that's the first thing we want to um, talk about. The next thing is how to write a testimony, Sim- the best way to do it is, seems to be to divide it into three parts, okay? The before, how, and the after. And the before, what was your life like before you became a Christian? What was the problem in your life? Where were you searching to try to find purpose or meaning? Um, and so in the first part, you'll talk about that. The second is the how, the detail, the events and circumstances that brought you to the point. Of understanding the gospel and trusting in Jesus. And finally, after, describe your life, what your life is like now that you have a relationship with God. How has it changed? And uh, for many of you, like my wife, you may have a childhood testimony, meaning there isn't this before where you have all these uh, sins you committed or where you were trying to find purpose. God may have spared you of that, and as a child, helped you to understand the gospel. And so, as you write yours, you'll just simply leave out the before, and as we we talk, you'll pick something um, in terms of after you became a Christian that is different in your life. So, lastly, we want to just uh, walk through some different suggestions as you write your testimony, and the first is to emphasize the positive, Okay, you just have three minutes here and what you're working on. And so you don't want to spend too much time on the sin part. And a lot of times it can be easy to want to really demonstrate your point that God has saved me from so much. So we'll spend a long time talking about the details of what we were into or doing then. And so it's important in the testimony that, that we want to focus on Christ and the change in your life not necessarily the, the center where you were before. We want to share it enough to know that there was a problem that needed to be solved, but, um, but focus on the positive and not spend too much of your energy describing all the list of what you did before. Next, be specific, but not a travelogue. Okay. Sometimes when people share their story, they can go into all these details about I lived here and I went here, and they're meaningless details to the story, but we can get caught up in just talking through it all. And so as you work on this, think through, okay, what are some specific things that will help the story come alive, some details that aren't meaningless and won't kind of distract them where they lose track of What's going on in your story? Uh, Next, uh, avoid cliches or uh, Christianese. Going to read uh, one here, which uh, would be a suggestion of how not to give a testimony. I received a blessing when I became a Christian. I received deliverance through the sinner's prayer. I was unsaved and need to be saved. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I received salvation when I believed the gospel and was washed by the blood of the lamb. I was born again when the Holy Spirit spoke to me at the altar of God. I lost all my friends and my job. The devil has been after me ever since. Praise his name. The trials and tests, they're unbearable. I just hope I can hold out until the end. (laughs) Then maybe I'll be able to go to heaven. So... We use that just as an example that we need to think through who we're talking to, and it's easy in the Bible Belt here to just assume that you know everybody goes to church, and they know all the lingo, and we can just cut right into it. But we have to remember that there's people like me that I got to college, and I'd never been to church, had never heard the gospel, didn't know anything. And so if somebody had shared their testimony with all those words, I would have been like, that really sounds weird, and I don't understand any of that. So as you do your testimony, think through, how can I do it in words that if they don't know anything, they will connect with what I'm sharing? So, um, so avoid cliches. Choose one part of your life that illustrates Christ's work. Okay? And one of the things we, we did here on the back is I wanted you to have this uh, to work on. So we put some things that you can read later Some more on the before, how, and after. But on the bottom, the negative and the positive, these are great things to pick when you write your testimony. Pick one of these. So um, so mine was lack of purpose or lack of peace. And so as I share my story, I'll focus on that as something that, as I'm sharing with someone, I'm hoping that maybe that's their issue as well. And then come back at the end and talk about how Christ has made a difference in my life, and now that I have peace. I have purpose. So you can walk through these, and you may find one that really resonates with, hey, this is what I was feeling and dealing with at the time, and maybe the positive is the opposite of that, and this is what Christ has provided for me now. So I would encourage you, if you're working on your testimony for the first time, pick one of these, and in the before, talk about, Hey, this is what I was dealing with before Christ, and this is what it felt like, and um, if you were me back then, you would connect and then share how you trusted Christ, and then after, here's what it's like now. I, I don't necessarily deal with that negative, but now Christ has turned the negative into a positive, uh, be honest. Don't, uh, you don't need to uh, dramatize your life and make it seem, you know, different than it really is. We have to remember that God is the one who's doing this, okay? The pressure is off us. He just wants us to go and, and share with others the change that he's made in our life and who Jesus is. But we know from Scripture that God causes the growth. He's the one that's going to make the lights go on for people to understand the gospel, we just need to tell. And so as you share your story, you can just be honest and say, this is how it worked for me. That may not be the same for you, but this is mine. And finally to make it less than 3 minutes. And again, you may wanna as you, as you work on this, have a 30-minute story. You may be riding in the car with somebody, you know, a, a far distance and you or you may be camping or who knows? You may have a lot more time where you guys can talk through a lot more of the details. But there are many times to where three minutes is the right amount. And after that, you can get in the gospel or or get into you know, being able to share more. But that's just a place to start. And so um, so anyway, so what we want to do is encourage you to take that form. And over these next weeks, just start working on your before, how, and after and we would love it if on the last week we can get in our tables and you're ready to just say, hey, I'm okay to share my little three-minute testimony with others at the table. And hopefully we'll have some facilitators around that can provide suggestions uh, for those that want some help on that day as well. So, again, we're not going to force everybody to do that and, and to share at your table. We're just going to encourage you to prepare and uh, and be ready to do that. I think November 10th is our fifth week. So... That's when we want to do that, so thanks.
0: Rick. All right. I love that I can't believe you called me out with my testimony. That was my testimony that he read, and I do feel blessed, so blessed. Um, Man, I like what he said, though, because, listen, we, we don't want to equip you to be weirdos, okay? Like, no one wants you to go to work tomorrow and put, like, crosses and fish all over your desk at work and, like, play Shane and Shane real loud in your cubicle. Like, okay, that's not going to go well with you tomorrow, okay? And so, man, well, here's what we want to do. I mean, let's just be honest. Not, and, and, and what's great about these sorts of um, classes it's, this isn't us talking to you. And I know it seems like that because there's a stage. And all, but this is us talking together. Uh, because all of us that are called out by Christ, created unique with a purpose, redeemed, a masterpiece, like all, all of us are searching for significance, man. Everybody in this room, uh, no matter your age or demographic, we're all trying to find significance. And what we're trying to do is what we always want to do is gather together and remind ourselves of where significance is found. Uh, remind ourselves, man, that there's there's a God and it's not us. And and I, just imagine, just imagine what would happen if a room full of people like this right here got excited about trying to change the world for the cause of Christ and trying to make life out about self about putting other people first. I mean, just imagine what would he, how our city could be transformed if you took 160 people that said, hey, man, I'm going to go to work tomorrow, not trying to be the guy who get, gets noticed in the staff meeting, but I'm going to be... See, it's crazy because everything outside these doors right here, I mean, this has been an awesome hour and a half, but when you walk out these doors, everything outside that door is telling you to win, 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 be number one, be number one, be the man, be the man. And the Bible says lose, lose. Lose Those who are last will be first. And so it's so contra-world. You know, I found this little article, and we're going to be wrapped up here. And it says, these are like five signs to tell if you're wasting your life. And so if you're here and you go, man, my life is pretty good, or you, you want some confirmation. Now, this isn't the Bible. This is like TMZ or something. No, not TMZ. Some other website. Don't, we don't condone that. Um, but here's, here's five signs to tell if you are wasting your life. Five signs, and five signs to confirm that these, these Monday nights aren't going to be a waste for you. Here we go. Good enough has become the new standard. Good enough has become the new standard. You don't try hard anymore. You don't try new things. You don't try many new people. You don't try to stretch yourself. You just get up, go to work, go home, do it again, and it's like Groundhog Day every day for you. That's a horrible way to live your life. Good enough has become the new standard. You think work is the only thing that matters. So for you, you live and breathe work. And now you can do this even if you work for a church. Okay, we can all be prone to want to give ourselves away to some work other than the great mission. So if you wake up and you live, breathe, work, and that's all you live for, you're always chasing the latest toy. This is really convicting, especially for for someone like me. I, I like gadgets, I like stuff, I like trinkets. We all do. That's a sign. And toys can get more expensive the more that you make, right? I mean, they turn into cars and houses and boats and bigger things. And so television is your best friend. This is for you who you can spend a week, you know, watching every episode of whatever the new show is, you know. Like you, you Net- Netflix binging is like your life. That's a sign that you're wasting your life. You often escape into a fantasy world. That's where you daydream. That's where you spend hours on Pinterest thinking about the perfect wedding that you'll never have because you're just dreaming about the perfect wedding and sitting behind your cube all day. But you get lost into a fantasy world and you never live life. You just dream about what life could be, but you never go live that life. That's a horrible life to live. Uh, You always have a reason Not to take action. So anytime someone challenges you to do something, you almost had a reason not to come to this class tonight. Like, it's traffic, it's busy, it's next year, I'll do that later. Uh, When I get this paid off, I will do this. Like, there's always an excuse. That's a sign that you're wasting your life. You often find yourself reliving the past, reliving the good old days. Remember what it was like in college? This is like the person who's like 35 at your work that still uh, thinks she's in a sorority. You know that girl? That's wasting your life, okay? This is like the guy that wants to go to frat parties in his 40. That's weird, not cool. Okay, dude, get married and do something else. But you're always thinking about the past. You're always thinking about how it used to be. And then you let other people tell you how to live. You let other people tell you how to live. You let the guy you're dating, the girl you're dating, the person you're married to, your boss, you let the world, you let everybody else tell you how to live your life And then you're not making an impact. You're not doing anything with your life. You're wasting your life while other people are wasting their life telling you how to waste your life. That's a really bad way to waste life. And so, man, I'm excited. I'm excited that you guys are here because over the next four weeks, we're going to learn a few things. Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. People really... Uh, get weird about spiritual gifts, okay? Like it's like magic, hocus pocus. It's nothing weird and you have them if you're a believer and we're going to talk about them. The next week after that, we're going to talk about your heart and your abilities. What are you you good at? What are you passionate at? And how can we put those things together? And then that third night, fourth night, we're going to talk about your personality and your experiences. And then we're going to begin to see how God takes your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experience, puts those together and allows you to, to uniquely change the world in a way that no one else can. And it's going to be really awesome. And, when, and here's the deal. Here's what I want you to know as we finish. Every day doesn't have to be Groundhog Day. Listen, I know what it was like to go and wake up every single day and go grind and then go home and do it again and do it again and grind and go home. and do, Like, that's not a way to live life. That leads to depression. That leads to sitting in bed all day, binging on Netflix. It's just not life. And what God has is this divine proposition for you. And he says, hey, if you'll come to me and you'll let me give you everything, you'll give me your everything, every desire you have, every ambition you have, every life goal you have, which is really hard to get rid of our life goals because they're ours. And you go, hey, I'm going to let my life be a blank canvas. And I'm going to say, God, here's my life. Let it be all for you and all for your glory. And here's what God does. God begins to take markers and he begins to shape your life and turn your life into something that you could never be when you're chasing your own life. If I had a time machine, it could go back 15 years and tell my old self, hey, Rick, if you would stop chasing what you think life is, God's got a better life. And I kept going, no, no, no. And so if you're here tonight and you go, hey man, life is found in blank and that blank isn't the radical call of Jesus on your life, listen, you are wasting your life. Whatever anybody tells you, what your boss tells you, you're wasting your life. And what we're going to talk about the next five weeks is going to radically change the way that you live your life and the way that you make an impact in not just your life, but the life of many other people. And there's going to be people who forever are changed because of your life and their life me pray one more time for us. And then we're going to be around for a little bit. So if you have some questions, you want to talk, man, my friends over here, uh, Brett and Rick, and my name's Rick, and we'd love to talk to you guys. So if you want to chat afterwards, you can come catch us up here. And I'm going to pray for us. Father, man, we, we repent. We repent that we chase everything. I mean, we really do. We chase, and then we even make it look good. We try to make it not look bad by trying to be workaholics, by trying to work hard, by being the guy that spends 60 hours a week at work while we neglect our friends and our family. And God, would you forgive us? Man, would you forgive us for making this life all about us and what we want? And many of us, we thank you for your grace in our life that many of us by your goodness have said to ourselves, hey, we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to waste our life anymore. We want our life to count. And that can only happen through a relationship with you. And so we praise you for your goodness that you pulled many of us out of hell And you brought us into life. Amen. We owe everything to you. And especially our lives. And we give it to you. And we ask that you would do something with it. We trust you with our lives. Help us to trust you with our lives. And by the Holy Spirit, would you change us to continue to trust you with our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Have a good night.